Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, joined by Jordan Climac, recording this during Monday Night Football. And Jordan, based on some of our texts over the last 24 hours, I got to start by asking, are you okay, man? Are you dealing with this Browns Chargers loss all right? I don't. That's honestly a great question. I don't even know if I can answer it yet. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm trying to hang in there, man. Look, it was a tough game yesterday, and you pile that on with a bunch of alcohol, and it's a terrible, terrible mix. Yeah, I was down bad, uh, as the as the kids say, uh, down bad, Henry. Uh, I'm still like ju- only just now recovering. Um, you know, I feel like I can finally look at you know that game with a level head, but man, it was a tough one. Life as as the Browns being life as a Browns fan with the Browns being good was a level of intensity that I'm not 100% sure I was prepared for. Um, obviously, you know that was the case last year. They were good, Henry, but like it was one of those things where like yeah, fans weren't in the in the arenas. You know, you weren't really watching games in like large groups and like group settings and that kind of thing last year. This year, total opposite story, man. I I don't think I was ready for it. Like I said, a lot of alcohol mixed with sorrow and officiating and, and dumb play calls and this, that, and the other. And it was a bad mix, but nonetheless, here I am. <laughs> I will say what's been different about this year, and I talked about it a little bit in that Chiefs game uh, to, to open the year, but this one I, I felt it almost even more, is that I have expectations going into these games, right? Like it's, you know, you always, at least for me as a fan, I feel like I'm usually pretty realistic. And in previous years, I was like, Yes, I'm watching every Browns game, but I know that the team is at a disadvantage, right? And even last year, it's like the first year they've been good in a while. They're actually doing things. This is, you're just kind of riding a high. I went into that Steelers game. It was kind of house money. You're like, okay, the Steelers are really good. Same with the Chiefs game. This year, I'm like, okay, I kind of think we can win every game. And I think, I thought we could win this game. And the intensity of that, when you're just on edge for three or four hours, I couldn't record the podcast immediately after the game yesterday because not only was I bummed, and I was definitely bummed. I had to wait a few hours, but I also had a headache from just being so locked in on the game for three and a half hours. And, and you know, you get a little pregame and postgame in there, and you're like, Henry, I've uh, I've long referred to it, and it's more of like when you go to the game, but it's become just every game in general now. It's called post Browns game feeling. And it's a real thing. And if you're a Browns fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's literally what Henry just described, where your emotions are going through such a ridiculous roller coaster that, it, like, after the game's over, your body's almost like, okay, man, chill out. <laughs> like, like, all right, like, I need, I need to regroup here and get myself back together. And then it's like, oh, my God, my head hurts. I don't have a voice anymore. I just need to lay down and go to bed. That is post-Browns game feeling. Well, that's what I had yesterday Jordan let's get to the actual game because it was a classic many have called it the best game of the year so far unfortunately the Browns did not come out on top 47 42 Chargers in the end I don't there are so many storylines to get to Jordan where do you want to start what was the biggest you know thing that you took away from this game or want to talk about Uh, uh, I don't know man there's so I guess we start with uh, the officiating. I, I think we just get that out of the way right off the bat. And look, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys. I never want to be one of those guys where, you know, blame the ref guy. I mean, but 
at a certain point, it just gets, it, it gets egregious to a point where it's like, are, are these guys going to be held accountable? I, I mean, I don't understand some of the mistakes that are made in some, and it's not just the Browns game. It's a lot of the games that I've seen this year in the NFL, where it's just the games are coming down to these calls and they're going the wrong way. Why do we not have a sky judge something like so this has to be correctable in some way because it's just getting to a point where it's not fair. Like what happened to the Browns yesterday wasn't fair. I, did they lose the game because of one or two missed calls by the refs? No. And if you say that they did, look, you're just down bad as I was yesterday. And that's the fact of the matter. But Henry, I mean, those things change the game. That Browns, that fourth and eight in particular, where, you know, A.J. Green, who had a hell of a game, by the way, I decided from the penalty and whatever, he stepped up and had a big game. But he was getting his jersey grabbed. Like, if you're going to throw a flag on that, it needs to be offensive pass interference. But that you just let them play on a fourth and eight when someone is heaving the ball at the sidelines. Anyway, the Browns get that ball back. They're in their own territory going to put that game away. And the way they were running the ball, the Chargers couldn't stop them. And that's all you needed to do to put the game away. That changed the entire complexion of the game. And it was hard to bounce back from that emotionally, like spiritually. It's hard as a player to overcome that when it's like, hey, I'm doing everything I can out here. And it doesn't matter because it's just getting taken away from me about what's going on with the officiating. Like, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to bitch about it too hard. I don't. But it, like, I, that's why I wanted to get it away. I get it out of the way off the top, Henry, just because I, I just don't. That was such an egregious call to me. I, I just. It was it was it was hard to watch and hard to process. Like I, watching that in real time at my house, I literally had to walk outside. I literally walked outside for a second. I was like, all right, I gotta regroup here because I don't understand how what I just saw. And there was a ref two feet away from the play, looking right at it, and that's the guy that threw the flag. And to get it that wrong, I just it, it, it's still I'm still having trouble processing it. I really am. I said this at the beginning of the last podcast, and I'll say it again. To me, this felt a lot like the Chiefs game last year where the call clearly went against the Browns. It was clearly the incorrect call. I also don't think you can really blame the game on that one play because, look, the defense gave up 47 points. They had another fourth down on that drive that they could not get off the field on. Jamie Gillen was terrible. The offense still had the ball at the end and couldn't execute down the stretch. So I think there were a number of other things that you could point to that ultimately decided the game just as much, if not more, than the referees. What's tough about the referee situation is, of course, it's not in your team's control, right? The other stuff is in your control. It does feel like in that case, it's been taken out of your hands, right? So I understand fans' frustration with that. I'm getting a little sick and tired of it, Jordan, in terms of, of the ref, uh, the ref blaming the ref, just like the screenshots on the internet. Like it was a bad call guys. Like the chargers two weeks ago when Joey Bosa was complaining about the referees also had a really bad call go against them. Like bad calls happen. We can have a much wider discussion about the NFL improving its officiating standards and how NFL officials get hired, but like that's not getting solved next week. And so for Browns fans out there, like, you just got to accept that bad calls go against you sometimes. I don't think the league has it out for the Browns. It just happens. We saw in the Chiefs-Bills game later that night, there were some terrible calls in that game in, in both directions. They won against the Browns in this. It did not help. It definitely did not help. If that pass interference goes the other way, yes, I think the Browns have a better chance to win the game. Of course. I just think there are bigger, you know, issues that that people aren't focusing on because they'd rather 
focus on the refs than, than talk about the other issues the Browns had in the game. Uh, I, I wish that was the case, but um, the amount of vitriol uh, and kind of just nonsense I've seen spewed over, I mean, I had to just go, I had to just go rogue yesterday and, and delete the Twitter app for a little bit. Cause it was just some of the stuff I was saying, just so reactionary and just so off based and just, I had a guy tweet at me saying that we need to start holding Miles Garrett more accountable for his play this year. And I was just like, that, that was it for me. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> the guy leading the NFL in sacks yes, this season. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, when are we going to start holding this guy accountable? I was just like, all right, yep. I am done with Twitter today. So like I, I, I it was a common, it was, it was literally, it was a full on full throttle in your face of Baker's not the guy. He can't take the Browns to the Super Bowl. Kevin Stefanski isn't as good as we thought. The defense still sucks. And I just, it was just a perfect combination of everything that just made me be like, all right, I got to just decompress from this for a while and kind of just get my own level head, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I tried to preach on the podcast yesterday is to me. And so we can start here is the reason the Browns lost this game was their defense. But again, I, I, I try to pe- preach kind of, I, I channeled you a little bit in the R-E-A-L-X part because I was just like, guys, yeah, the defense was bad, but it, I'm not going to call for Joe Woods' head. I'm not going to panic. You know, I, I talked about how two weeks ago I was a little bit worried. The defense was bad because they were playing a great offense and they had a ton of injuries. Like, that happens. It's the NFL. Like, they were playing their third and fourth string corners against a great wide receiver core and a great quarterback. Like, Jadavion Clowney wasn't in the game. Malik McDowell got banged up. JOK got banged up. Like, a lot of what happened yesterday that was bad on the defense. Denzel side Ward the- got banged up. Oh, I left out <laughs> Denzel Ward. I, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, a lot of what happened on the defensive side of the football, like, it's not rocket science. The Browns blew two coverages massively that caught us two big touchdown plays. You don't know why that happens? Because they're playing with a bunch of combinations of players that they haven't been able to practice with. Like, it happens. It was a little bit of a flashback to last season. The difference is the healthy guys are on the team. When they're all healthy, we saw the last two weeks what they're capable of. They weren't healthy this week. The defense was really bad. It's not going to stay that way forever. Hopefully, these guys get healthy in the next couple of weeks. But, like, the Browns' defense is going to be fine. So, I don't know. that. That I don't know how you felt if you thought there were any other structural problems with the defense. But to me, that was the number one reason they lost the game. And I'm just not that worried about it going forward. All right. So I'm going to start with two things here. I'll, I'll start with the defense and I'll get into why I think the Browns lost the game. Uh, talking from the defensive standpoint, it reminded me a lot of the end of last year where the Browns were just down bodies and like, you know, Robert Jackson's of the world were starting at corner and, and that kind of thing. Like it reminded me a lot of that last year where it was like, you know, I have to listen to so many people of like, Hey, you know, the Browns defense just sucks. Like the scheme is terrible. This, that, and the other It's like, well, I mean, there's not a lot you can do at a certain point when you just don't have the personnel. And they got to a certain point yesterday where the Browns just didn't have the type of personnel you can put out there to be successful in an NFL game, especially going up against a really damn good offense. That's just facts. Yeah. Just to jump in here real quickly. And what do we see the last two weeks? The Browns mixed it up a ton. They brought blitzes. They changed fronts. They changed personnel groupings. You know why we didn't see that last week? Because they were playing their third and fourth string corners. So they had to play way off. They had to give safety help over the top. That long touchdown between H.A. Green and Grant Delpit, somebody had the wrong coverage. I don't know who it was, but somebody did. And it's like, yeah, these things happen because they have the wrong – like, they don't have the horses. 
And, it, and it's a fine line, Henry, because what it is is like, yes, the personnel was bad. And at a certain point, you just can't do much about that. But at the same time, there's no excuse for the, those two blown coverage plays. I mean, there's just no excuse for that. I mean, that, that's, I mean, I, that ha- happens in all levels of football, right? Like I've seen it happen in you know, Pop Warner, high school, all that. Blown coverage has happened. Uh, when you're a professional, though, that kind of thing is inexcusable because it costs you games and it costs the Browns points. It made just, I mean, look, Justin Herbert had a hell of a game, a great game. He's a great quarterback, but it made him look better. And when the Browns are making mistakes like that in the secondary, I get that it comes back to, you know, the personnel and the guys not having the live refs together and the communication lacks in a scenario like that. And that's without question what happened, Henry. But at the same time, defensive lapses like that are inexcusable because if that happens in a game that matters, you're done. You're going home because you made, an, uh, a, a, you know, you kind of just had a botched coverage on defense. That, that's true. The Browns would go home. And I think that's, I mean, you have to be mild. I'm not saying it was good. I, I don't want to paint that picture either. I guess I just mean, you know, taking the broader picture 24 hours from now, it's game five. Like, I think, it, you know, if those guys are going to have to play a little bit, they'll get they'll get things on the same page and they'll have that experience going into the playoffs. And frankly, I doubt A.J. Green is going to be playing a whole lot if Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom can come back. Right. And, and flipping it over to my uh, the reason that I think the Browns lost, Henry, I think it was a combination of, of two things. Um, I think the injuries are, are the forefront and we talked about the defense, but I flip it over to the offense and, and, and the injuries that happened on offense as to why the Browns lost this game. And that being the big one with Jack Conklin going down at tackle rookie James Hudson coming, having come in play out of position. We know that he struggled the week prior and his, you know, minimal snaps against Minnesota. Uh, he was pretty bad again. I mean, you know, I, you give him an excuse because he's, uh, you know, a rookie playing in, you know, these hostile environments, getting his first kind of live reps. And like I said, he was out of position at right tackle, but when that happened, you had protecting both sides of Baker. You had James Hudson on one side and you had a Blake Hans on the other. Not ideal whatsoever. A very 2019-ish type Browns offensive line right there. And when that happened, I think that Kevin Stefanski panicked. And by that, I mean his play calling, it was evident in these, you know, these halfback draws out of the shotgun, um, the checkdowns, everything was out quickly. We weren't throwing the ball down the field. Even on that last drive, we had a chance to win the game. We weren't throwing the ball down the field. We were checking down. And to me, I think that when... James or uh, Jack Conklin went out. I think that really changed the game. And I think Kevin Stefanski, like I said, he panicked. He started to say, all right, look, I have a quarterback that's already playing compromised. I can't risk him getting his head taken off. And and I don't want to say Kevin Stefanski started to coach scared Henry, but he kind of did in in his play calling. And it was really questionable. He was super critical of himself. Um, You know, in previous weeks, I think, you know, he came out when Baker played bad and said, like, hey, look, I need to be better. Like, that's on me. And, like, we're all kind of like, haha, like, yeah, whatever. You had a great game. Baker didn't. We get what you're doing there. I think this game was kind of on him. Uh, I, I really do. I, I think that it was kind of his, his, his worst moment as a head coach for the Browns in, in that because usually he's so poised and so calculated. And when, to lose Conklin and to be compromised at the tackle positions like we were, and then Stefanski kind of see that and be like, Nah, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do now. Uh, halfback draw, halfback draw, cut down. Uh, I think that's really where the game kind of fell apart for the Browns on offense. I, I really do. 
Yeah, I, I would say that that's probably a reason number two is the late game execution. And you said it, Stefanski admitted as much. He said so after the game. He said so today. I mean, it, today at the press conference was, uh, yeah, sad. He was just, you could see. It was see, grim. It was yeah, grim. You, grim. That's a great way, way to put it. You could see how Stefanski was beating himself over up over, especially, I think, the third down and 10 run play. Right? That was the one in, in, where I think he, in particular, that was his call, and he made the It was just a mistake. It was just a, a flat-out mistake. It was a mistake, and more than anything, that was a him not trusting Baker. I, it was, I don't know if it was a not, him not trusting Baker and him not trusting the protection that they could get around Baker. Probably a combination of two of both those things, Henry. But, like, at that end of the day, like, I've seen so much vitriol thrown towards Baker of, like, hey, look, man, you failed to get the job done on, on you know, the last drive of the game again. It's like he didn't have a chance. They didn't give him a chance to get the job done. And, and I'm having a hard time swallowing that. Yeah, I – well – I'm going to push back a little bit on that, but I will say first that that Stefanski, yeah, he said it was the protection. He said when James Hudson got thrown in there, it's no secret what happened, uh, you know, that, that that Stefanski did not call anything deep on, down the field on that drive. Even the, sec- the second down play call, the ball was supposed to come out quickly. You could see Baker's first read w- was a quick out uh, on that play. And then, yeah, he called a draw. So he tensed up. I, I think it had more to do with the protection than Baker Mayfield. I will say on the last drive, I – I don't think the blame can be entirely on Kevin Stefanski there. Baker Mayfield, the reads were not just checkdowns. I mean, at some point there, Baker took the checkdowns when there were other options on the field. And on Ex- a, real quick to go off of that too, just to kind of you know, aid your point was that last throw that the last throw of the game in the end zone that you know the Browns wanted flags probably should have gotten them, especially after that phantom Mike Williams call. Um, Baker had, I don't know if you go back and watch this, Henry, uh, but go back and watch this play because Odell Beckham Jr. was wide ass open. And I mean wide ass open and and going out towards the sideline where he could have caught the ball in stride, got right out of bounds. You still would have had like 17 seconds at the 25 versus like the 50. And you have to recognize that. You you have to. So you're you're probably more right than I am. Yeah, and I want to get to Odell Beckham Jr. in a second because we're we're going to talk a little bit in more detail about that, Jordan. But you're right. I saw our our, our mutual friend and former host of this podcast, Jordan Zerm, tweeted out one a, a, a picture of how open Odell Beckham Jr. was on, on the play before the Hail Mary. And yeah, I was just going to say that you know Baker the. The first read was definitely to Kareem Hunt on the third down. That was a check down. That was the first read for sure because they were trying to make sure they picked up the first down. But before then, he has to push the ball down the field there. And that's a mistake from him. And Jordan, in general, it's so hard sometimes to have a nuanced conversation about Baker Mayfield. But to me, it really boiled down to this. Baker had a great game until the last drive. He threw for 300 yards. The offense scored 42 points. He was on fire. He rebounded perfectly well from last week. He didn't have a good last drive. And he, in general, needs to get a little bit better at late game execution. It's not just him. It's Kevin Stefanski, too. But those two guys, if the Browns are going to beat the Chiefs, if they're going to beat the Bills, if they're going to beat the Chargers, it's probably not coming in a blowout. Baker's going to have to drive the ball down at the end of games. And I feel like it's okay to admit two things. Number one, Baker Mayfield's fine. He played well. He's the Browns quarterback. They're going to be fine with him. He also needs to improve a little bit in late game situations if they're going to win 
the AFC Championship, if they're going to be able to compete for a Super Bowl, because they're not going to beat those teams unless he is better than he's played in late game situations, because the quarterbacks on the other side of the ball are very good in those situations. Yeah. And I mean, I know you can go back to what I'm 2019 or zero. The Browns had Freddie kitchens at Baker Mayfield had a game winning drive against Josh Allen. But other than that, and look, that was a meaningless year throwaway game in the end. I'm going back to last year and this year, um, Patrick Mahomes twice now. I mean, I guess, you know, say what you want about the playoff game since he went out, but he did start the game. So head to head against Patrick Mahomes, you're 0-2. Um, now against Justin Herbert, you're 0-1. Uh, you've had some losses to Lamar Jackson, lost him twice last year. So, I mean, that, that's kind of how it is, right? I mean, you have to be honest about it at the end of the day. Yeah, you, you laid it all out, Henry. I still think Baker is the guy. I still think the Browns can win a Super Bowl with him. I would still pay him a lot of money. I think he's a very good quarterback. But at the same time, you have to look at it from the perspective of like, hey, man, like the, the Chiefs got a guy that's going to go win you that game at the end. The Chargers got a guy that's going to go do that. You know, the Ravens have shown that they have a guy that can do that. The Bills obviously have a guy. And, of course, we know, you know, the Brady's and the Rodgers. So, I mean, if you, you can't be – you can't – sometimes it comes down to that in, in the NFL games of who has the better quarterback at the end of the day. And the Browns have a very good one, but when it comes down to great, he's not yet there. And it shows in these late game situations. It does. But I, at the same time, Henry, we got to just, can we just chill about it? It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. Like, you know what I mean? Like Browns fans, like it doesn't have to be, Hey, Baker is the greatest player to ever play football, put, you know, put him in Canton already. And it also doesn't have to be, look, he's not the guy he, we need to trade him. Why are we not trying to get Aaron Rodgers? Like it doesn't have to be either one of those things. You got to meet in the middle somewhere and, and approach this with a level head. Cause like you said, it's become borderline impossible to have a nuanced conversation about Baker. They, people are either down your throat or defending you so hard where it's kind of like, dude, all right, chill. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we are, man. It, it sucks too, because we laid it so long, Henry. We had so damn long to get a quarterback that we could win with. And now that we have one we're we can't decide on him. It's, it sucks. It does. And you're right about the fact that sometimes it comes down to that quarterback, right? Like when I was, I actually did a a Chargers preview podcast where I was a guest on somebody else's show and we were going through the matchup. And when I picked the Browns, you know, I laid out my reasons about how they had the run game, the roster, all that kind of stuff. And then the other guy picked the Chargers and he goes, you're right, but the Chargers have Justin Herbert and I'm going to take him over Baker Mayfield in a close game. And that's basically what this came down to. But at the same time, and I made this point yesterday too, and I, and I found some stats that I want to share with the audience here. You don't have to be Patrick Mahomes to be, or, or Tom Brady for that matter, or any of those guys to be a good quarterback in late game situations. It's something you can get better at. Guys like, I, the name I brought up yesterday was Derek Carr. Do you know Derek Carr has 26 game winning drives in his NFL career? Dak Prescott has 21. I don't think those guys are leaps and bounds above Baker Mayfield. Matt Stafford, his career is tough to compare with Baker because he's been playing so long, has a ton of game-winning drives. Ryan Tannehill has a ton. But guys that Baker is right in the class with in terms of where they rank in the NFL right now have produced in in late-game situations. And Baker's younger than all those guys I just mentioned. And so my point would be that he can get better. Guys, like he's allowed to improve. It's only his fourth season in the NFL. And there are plenty of guys in his range 
of quarterbacks, even where the level he's playing at right now, that are good in these situations. And I think Baker can get there. Again, he needs he needs to get there if the Browns are going to win, but he can. And so that's the part where I'm just – the disconnect is coming with, with me and some of the fans out there. Is it's like there are plenty of examples of quarterbacks around the league that are getting this done. Like Baker's fine. Just, again, we don't need to, to panic here. And it's one of those situations where – He's going to get better. Kevin Stefanski is going to get better in, in these situations. And, you know, hopefully that'll give the Browns a chance when they see these teams again later on in the year and for years to come. You ready to do the Odell thing? Oh, Jordan, I am. Because <laughs> you you pointed this out last week and I wasn't there yet. And, Jordan, yeah. I I think you have this process, too, where you, you go back and rewatch games. At least sometimes, you know, after. And I went back and tried to rewatch this game with a little bit of a more level head late at night. And boy, oh boy, there are a lot of plays where Odell Beckham Jr. is wide open and Baker Mayfield doesn't throw him the football. Here's so, Henry, here's here's what I'm worried about. And because you just nailed on on that two straight weeks. I mean, three straight weeks. He's bringing back to the Bears game. Odell Beckham has been wide ass open the entire game for three straight games. And I mean, look, teams are coming in. They're stacking the box. They know what the Browns are going to do. Odell has seen a lot of one-on-one coverage. You're going, but you've gone back and looked at it. You've probably noticed it as well. He's had a lot of one-on-one coverage in these games because teams are just stacking the box saying, Baker, beat us. And he's not doing it. Do you want an insane stat about Odell Beckham Jr. and how much he's getting open these last couple of weeks? Hit me. Next, next gen stats. There are two receivers that lead the league in getting open on routes five plus yards downfield this year. They are tied at 72%. They are Devontae Adams of the Green Bay Packers and Odell Beckham Jr. of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I believe it. I mean, it, dude, it's, it, it, Henry, it's, it's insane. And here, what I'm worried about with this at this point is I think, look, I, I don't think it's any secret. I mean, we've seen. Emily Mayfield had a tirade on Twitter today. Baker had to post something on Instagram last week. Within the minutes of doing this podcast, Baker has posted on Instagram a Stephen A. Smith take today, which I came at Stephen A. for too. So I guess I can't really get to, too, too much on Baker for it. But, but I say that to say this. He hears the noise and he listens to it. And what I'm worried about is he listened to it so much that he says, I might have Baker Mayfield open here. But I also have David and Joku open here, so I'm going to throw the ball to David and Joku, so it doesn't look like I'm trying to force. Them. Like I, 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 I'm worried that he's so in his head about not forcing the ball to Odell that he's just almost disregarding him at this point. And if that's the case, then you need to snap out of it. You need to stop going on Instagram, being going on Twitter, having all these people in your ear because they are the ones they're feeding him this information, and I think he's absorbing it to the point where it's messing with his psychologics. And the, and, and and we see it with Odell, man. Because look, Henry, there was that play. And I was screaming this live when it happened. So if I could see it on my TV, how can he not see it in the middle of a game? And that's the fact that it was one of those David and Joku plays. It wasn't the one where he had the huge touchdown on, but he caught like a 15-yard pass. So I was like, okay, good. But then Odell was wide open for the touchdown over the top. And I mean, wide open, man. It's not even that hard of a throw to make. You just put the ball out there and he's fast enough that he's going to get it. Like, I just don't know what's going on. And I'm worried that he's so much in his head about hearing the critics and forcing the ball to Odell that he's just saying now, look, if I have someone else open, I'm going there because I don't want to be looked at as this guy that can't play with Odell because I just force him the ball when he's out there. 
And I think that's where we are. And it's, it's a messed up situation to be in because he is wide open and he should be dominating football games. And it's not happening. I know exactly what play you're talking about because yeah. I, I saw it too, where you see Odell, it's a nice play to Njoku. And then on the replay, you see, oh, wait a second. Odell Beckham Jr. is behind the entire Chargers defense right now. And with his hand up and Baker doesn't throw him the football. There was the play you mentioned at the end of the game as well. That was another stark example that on that critical second down where it was, you know, arguably pass interference against Rashard Higgins, Baker Mayfield takes a quick peek at Odell Beckham Jr. Who's open like six yards down the field, wide open. And he does not throw it to him. Now you could argue about whether or not that was the correct decision to go deeper beyond the sticks to Rashard Higgins. But if it's Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, I don't think Aaron Rodgers goes to his next read. If it's Tom Brady and Mike Evans, like I don't think Tom Brady goes to his next read. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, pick your wide receiver quarterback duo. I don't think they look at their number one receiver wide open, even if he's short of the sticks, and don't throw him the football. And that's the part where I think you're right. And so my next question to you is, you know, where do we go from here? Because I feel like the ship has sailed. At least I am finally ready to admit that the ship has sailed on Odell Beckham Jr. being a number one wide receiver in Cleveland. I don't think he's ever going to produce at that level. So, and, but, but, but here's the thing. We can say, like, it's not that he's not good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you just laid it out. I mean, he's wide ass open every game, every play, every snap. And we can't find a way to get him involved. It's crazy to me. It's insane. I can't, I can't figure it out. I can't either. I really can't. That's, that's the thing is like, I, I don't really have a great explanation but I feel like the Browns have a couple options right now. They've long thought that they were going to keep Odell Beckham Jr. for this season and then either trade him or, or figure out a, a way to, to move off of him next season. So they could hang on to him for now and potentially risk what you're talking about, some you know psychological interference, if, if you will, with Baker Mayfield and how he's playing, whether it's forcing the ball to him too much, whether it's not getting the ball to him enough and kind of deal with the outside noise. Or they could start thinking about moving off him even earlier than next season. They could start thinking about doing it right now. How do you feel about the, the idea of potentially trading OBJ? It's funny that you said that, and I'm not reporting anything or, or I haven't heard anything or anything like that. But I would just say, like, you know, it's definitely a situation of worth keeping your eye on. Because like you said, I mean, it's just for whatever reason it is, when he's out there, Baker is a different person. It just is. I can't explain it. We could, we could hire, you know, Mythbusters, anyone to try and come in and figure this one out. No one's going to figure it out. It just doesn't make sense at this point. So if that's the case, we've seen Baker do it. We've seen him become a, a top borderline top three. I mean, you go back to the end of his last year, Henry, he was up there with Mahomes and Rogers and, and then all of a sudden Odell's back and he's back to this. And like the, the great accurate start to the year, Odell was not there for the two weeks. It's just, I just, it just doesn't add up at this point. You have to figure out, Away, like I, I just feel like the Browns, to your point, I think have almost, or they're probably almost as exhausted, if not more exhausted on this than we are, to the point of like, look, you're watching the damn film, you see it, he's wide ass open, like you're looking at it. So what is the deal? Why can't we do this? And, and it becomes a thing every single week. It just gets to the point like, okay, maybe we just need to do something about it if it's not going to work itself out. And maybe that's moving on to Modell. I, I, I don't know. Because you're going to hold on to Baker over Odell, and and any logical person would do that. But I mean, I just think that's kind of 
if this keeps going down the path that it's going down, Henry, that's probably going to be the, you know, the culmination of it all. I'll say that I'm not, I, I, I came on the podcast yesterday to say that I'm close to making the statement that the Browns should trade Odell. I'm going to continue to hold off and I'm going to continue to hold off for one reason. And that's, I do want to see Jarvis and Odell on the field together and see if that can help smooth things out a little bit, because you know, Baker Mayfield loves Jarvis Landry and is a safety blanket, but maybe that will create a little bit more rhythm with the offense. That could be me being way too optimistic. That could me, you know, be me just, you know, looking at it with, with rose colored glasses, but I'll, I'll say that I would like to see them hang on to OBJ for at least that long. And then maybe honestly deal with it throughout most of the season, just because he is such a weapon. Like you just can't replace that guy. And that's why we've been fighting against this for so long. I, you know, I consistently said they're not a perfect fit together, but Odo Beckham Jr. is a great player. And so he doesn't make the Browns worse by not being there. Uh, but at this point, it's hard to ignore what you're seeing with your eyes play in and play out. It's just hard to ignore that. I'm going to hang on to a little bit of hope for a little bit longer, but it's getting real close. Like I'm not, I'm not there either, Henry, where I'm saying like trade the guy right now. I just think that if we get down the, cause look, the fact of the matter is Henry, I was talking about it. I mean, it's so obvious to say, but four and one, my God, is that a big, uh, a huge difference between four and one and three and two, especially when you're coming home to play the only undefeated team in the NFL and in the Cardinals. And there's a real chance that the Browns are three and three at the end of next week. And if it's another week where you're all of a sudden you're three and three heading into a Thursday night game where it's look at the body, we're dropping like flies, Henry. There's no guarantee that we're going to be healthy this weekend. And you don't get healthy all of a sudden in four days to turn around and play a Thursday night game. So, I mean, there's a real possibility that things get bleak here for the Browns. And, and if it's the fact that Odell is still not being involved through that bleakness, then I, I think that maybe we have to consider something then. But I'm not saying it now. Yeah, I uh, again, I'm not going to be too worried if the Browns go to three and three because you look at the next stretch of games after that, you know, it just doesn't worry me a whole lot. You've got teams like the Broncos, the Lions, the Patriots. Dare I say the Steelers don't worry me too much at this point, at least from an offensive perspective, though that will, of course, be a, a super intense game. But relative to the team the Browns have played, I'm not going to panic too much. And something else that gave me a little bit of confidence today, Jordan, as a Vegas guy – is that the Browns opened as straight up three point favorites against the Cardinals, despite you know being three and two and the Cardinals being yeah, five I was and zero? Oh. By that, is that the, just the classic home team gets three points though? Yeah, but I, I guess my point would be that Vegas is saying, hey, on a neutral field, the Browns are dead even with the five and zero oh Cardinals. Like we don't see yeah. a difference in these teams. So yeah. to me, that yeah. that signals right. Vegas is like the Browns have lost to the Chargers and the Chiefs. You go look at the Cardinals' schedule; it's not. You know, they don't have a lot of insane wins other than that one win over the Rams when it was a clear letdown spot for the Rams against, you know, uh, the Cardinals after beating the Buccaneers. Right. Can make that so, argument for us too, though. I, I yeah, I, 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 I'm not saying I'm supremely confident in the Browns. You know, I am, I would not be surprised at all if they lose to the Cardinals. In fact, I might pick the Cardinals depending on the Browns injury situation right now. But I'm just saying, you know, the, the people where they're, they're not biased. It's all about money. They're saying, eh, not so fast on the difference here between the Browns and the Cardinals anyway. So to me, that signals, hey, even if the Browns lose that game, 
everybody is still showing the Browns respect. I think nationally, for the most part, you're still seeing a lot of people say that, you know, the Browns are right in the mix where we saw them at the beginning of the season as well. So I know a lot of Browns fans focus on the negative people out there, the Stephen A. Smith saying you can't win the Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield. But I also saw plenty of people today saying that the the Browns are fine, that they're right in it, that we're listing the Browns as AFC contenders. Those so are the I, people I love. The level well, and I think and I think that's true. I, again, I, I I think all of that is still true despite this loss. Yeah, it is. And the fact of the matter is, I'm done talking about Browns Chargers. Um, I'm sure you are too. Uh, we can officially get that taste out of our mouth. And uh, in the words of Bill Belichick, Henry, uh, on to Arizona. Can I interest you in one more thing that is related to that? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were going to get away, but I had one more. I, 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 I had two big takeaways from that Browns game. And one of them was about the OBJ thing, but the second one is about Jamie Gillen. And we have not discussed oh, Jamie Gillen, and I know oh, we need to go here Christ. soon. But, Jordan, I don't want to be the guy that says he has to get cut, but he kind of has to get cut, right? There's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, oh. the quick stats. <laughs> Jamie Gillen ranks 29th in the NFL right now with a 41.8 yards per punt average. That is not good. That is quite bad. His punts yesterday 53 yards, that was a touchback, so it was net 28 yards, 39 yards, 42 yards when it was returned for 12 yards. And before you say, oh, well, he was good in the past, last season he was 28 yeah. in net yards per punt. So it's not good. I, I don't know, you know who the Browns should get, but there's got to be somebody at, at least worth bringing in for a competition, but I would think for, for uh, more than that. Yeah, he didn't average. He didn't have a punt that had a net yard more than forty yards yesterday, which is like almost like laughable. It's, it's so bad that it's almost like like another thing that I'm trying to figure out. And like, I don't care that our punter has a Scottish accent. I don't care that he can drink beer at like an impressive rate. I don't care that people think he's cool. Um, at a certain point, you have to produce. And I think there can be a real argument made that Jamie Gillen is the worst player on this Browns team. And if that's the case, you got to move on. If I'm Andrew, if I'm Andrew Barry, and like, Lord knows I'm not, right? He went to Harvard. I went to Ohio University. <laughs> um, my first order of business would have been the second I woke up this morning, Henry. I am on the market looking for punters. I'm holding punting tryouts in Berea today. There's just no excuse. You can't have you if, if you can't have a net yard of 40 yards on a punt in the NFL as a professional punter. You're just not getting the job done. It's it's really it's not rocket science. Anyone can see it. He wasn't good last year. He's been terrible this year. I, I know you can get in the whole thing of like, yeah, but Chase McLaughlin's doing good and he's his holder and, and, and all that, whatever. Sure. You got to move on from Jamie Gillen. It's time. It was probably time. You, you, you could have made the argument in the offseason that we could have, we should have brought someone in here to compete with him. And you didn't. You stuck with him. Now you got to swallow your pride. It's time. We said it jokingly uh, ahead of the game that he might be the weakest spot on the roster, but it, number one, it's probably true. And secondly, it came up, you know, in a critical situation here. I, uh, there was, you know, the drop in week one against the chiefs that, you know, that's a little bit more of a fluke, but in this situation, the Browns really could have used a good punt after that third yeah. down and 10 run. And instead they got a 42 yard punt where the guy and, ran and, it back and the for thing about yards. it too is, I don't know if you were the same way, but I was looking at my TV kind of jokingly like, all right, here comes like a 25 yard punt. Lo and behold, that's literally exactly what we got. So, like, 
when you can say that, I always say when those kind of joking statements turn to reality, Henry, that's when you got to really look in the mirror. And, and that's where they are with Jamie Gillen. It's, it's a tough spot to be in. I know, you know, it was a point I hadn't thought of, Jordan, that then I heard a bunch today is that because he is the holder for Chase McLaughlin, you do risk messing up the kicking game, which is ultimately more important to the Browns than the punting situation. Is it, though, in Kevin Stefanski? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. Well, Stefanski goes for it on every fourth down. <laughs> well, and Browns fans were complaining about how aggressive Kevin Stefanski is. Brandon Staley, the fourth, oh, I, I could not believe the fourth down aggressiveness fourth coming out of I mean, dude, talk about playing. He was playing Madden on, like, all pro or something, man. I mean, I don't know what's going on. But that's going to – one of those is going to come back to bite you in the ass. Like, you, you don't just – like the charters are converting fourth downs at like an astronomical rate. Like that's not going to have, like, that's not sustainable in my, in, in my eyes. And to flip over the Browns, they're 12 and 33 on fourth downs. I mean, at what point do you just be like, all right, we, you know, the analytics might say to go for it, but like, we can't convert these. Yeah. It's, it's a fair point. I mean, my counterpoint would be again, they got one out of two in this game and scored a touchdown on one. And the one they didn't get. Oh, no, Beckham jr. For as much as we gave yeah, Baker, uh, Flack for not finding Odell Beckham Jr. That one hit him right between the hands, and, and he did not catch it. That was a tough. It that was did. A tough I, one to... I don't think it was one of these, but like Baker has the couple of these a game where there would be a guy like five yards away from him, and, and I mean he's thrown about ninety miles an hour. At, like dudes are, I'm surprised like Kareem Hunt didn't try and like break fingers trying to catch like a five yard pass from Baker on Sunday. I, I'm not saying that that fourth down was one of them, but he's had a lot of those. Yeah, he does. He does have those from time to time. And you see that among a couple NFL quarterbacks that they, they like to rifle it in there. Josh Allen uh, of the yeah. Bills had a couple of those, too, where he just fires in at 100 miles an hour when you're when you're pretty close. So not an uncommon trait uh, among those NFL guys with talented arms. But, yeah, definitely something that, that Baker lets get to him from time to time. But all right, Jordan. I, I know you wanted to move on to Arizona. I had you hold hold you for a five minute discussion about the Browns punting situation <laughs> before I let you go. You, you're not getting off that easy. <laughs> no, it's, uh, all, it's all good, man. It's all good. All right, we are Browns. on Arizona now. Okay, officially. Officially on to Arizona, turning the page. Browns three and two. All is still fine. I promise, Browns fans, this team is going to be okay. We'll talk to you with the Cardinals preview and much more later on in the week. But until then, go Browns.